Well, this psalm is often one that's preached on on Thanksgiving. Uh, it is a Thanksgiving psalm. And I think it's a psalm that actually invites us uh, to see things from the right perspective. So I want you to just imagine as we begin that you are um, needing to head to the airport and uh, you're actually already running late because a friend of yours said that they were going to go to the airport at the same time and they'd be happy to give you a ride. And so you are in your home, looking out the window, looking at your watch, and it's getting later and later. And you try calling, and you try texting, and still no sign of your friend. They don't call, and it's beginning to get too late for you to hail an Uber. So, so how are you feeling in this moment? My guess is many of us start feeling angry and frustrated, and how could my friend be cutting it so late? Or how could my friend maybe have even forgotten me? This person is being so inconsiderate. That's our perspective, right? But there's a different perspective. The friend is someone who recognized that he wanted to get to the airport really early because of you, and so he left his home so quickly that he forgot to bring his cell phone. And that would have been okay, except along the way and the highway, he blew a tire, and now he's off on the shoulder of this highway with cars buzzing by, and he's trying to get the tire replaced as quickly as possible because he so desperately wants to pick you up in time. That's also what's taking place. Now, you, from your perspective, don't see it all. You are, in some ways, telling the wrong story because you're not seeing things from the right perspective. And if you were, your whole story would change, right? Right now, I think in our culture, the, the, the common perspective that, that people are, are having questions really whether we should even be celebrating this week. I mean, think about just the barrage of bad news we keep on hearing. The government is falling apart. Culture is falling apart. The environment is falling apart. And there is nothing we can do about it. The situation is hopeless. Why should we give thanks we should instead just be in despair. That's one perspective. It's the pervasive perspective. Yet our psalm this morning tells us that there is a different perspective, that, that when we see things rightly, we see a story not that causes us to despair, but a story that causes us to be filled with joy and awe and gratitude. Now, just to be clear, in case we start kind of thinking that person, this, you know, like David who's writing this just happens to have this beautiful life, you should understand that life in the time that David was writing was worse than ours in pretty much every measurable way. Brutal violence was common. Wars were happening again and again. Political stability was the exception, not the norm. Life, stability, uh, life expectancy was so much shorter than ours. Disease was common. Famine was just a daily reality of life. It was hard. And so you see oftentimes, if you thumb through the Psalms, so many Psalms in the middle of some of this difficulty expressing confusion. How is it, God, that you're doing this? Why? Because, because these psalms are so often from this perspective where we just don't see. And we understand so often in the middle of our, our days and our weeks, we're feeling confused and we don't see. But if we were to see from God's perspective, it would be different. Because 
our perspectives are always so limited and so confused, but God sees everything, every, every aspect. And not only does he see everything that's going on, he sees beneath. He, he understands the meaning and the significance and the, and the direction everything is heading. If, if we could see in some way through his eyes, that would change us. It would be a different perspective. Now, that's not just a hypothetical in the Old Testament, there was a real sense that the temple was the place where God pulled back the curtain and helped people to see things as they really were. The temple is where God's presence was experienced. The temple is where God as king was known. The temple was where truth could be seen from the right perspective. And do you notice as David is singing this psalm where he is standing? He's standing in the courts of the temple. You know, praise is due to you, verse 1, O God, in Zion. Verse 4, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. He is standing in the courts of the temple, and that is changing his perspective. It enables him to see the goodness of God. At the very beginning, it says, Praises due to you, God in Zion. To you, all vows shall be performed, O you who hear prayer. It was common in that day of farmers that in times of distress where they weren't sure whether the crops would go well or not, they would make promises to God saying, Lord, if you, if you give us the crops that we need, we will give you a portion back. And God says specifically in, in, in his law, when you make vows, bring your vows to the temple, offer them up to me, and then feast on it together. And as you feast, you will remember in my presence that I am good. And David sees that. In the courts of the temple, he sees again that God is generous. He also sees at the courts of the temple how God is forgiving. Notice in verse 3, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. He sees the sacrifices being performed as, as people who are aware of their sin come and offer sacrifices and experience the reality that they are forgiven by God. See, in the courts of the temple, David is able to see things rightly. And in a sense, what he's doing is kind of, in his experience is anticipating the experience that you and I are given in Christ. Jesus himself tells us that he is the fulfillment of the temple, that, that if the temple was in some ways where God pulled back the curtain a little bit, in Jesus, God pulls back the curtain completely, and we see things in its fullness. In, in Jesus, as we stand in Christ, we see. We have seen that we have a God who is so generous that he gives us his son, and he gives and he gives. We have seen that our God is so committed to bringing us to him that his son has died on the cross and we are forgiven. We have seen that Jesus has conquered, that our future is certain. As we stand in Christ, we see it is a different perspective that enables to see this world differently. And that's what David is saying in the psalm, that if we want to see, we need to stand in the right place. We need to stand with the right perspective and look from the perspective of what God has shown us, to stand in the temple courts, to stand in Christ, and to see from there. 
And notice what David sees. Notice first in verses 5 through 8, he looks at the world. You can see that in a couple of times he talks about in like verse 5, the hope of all the ends of the earth. And verse 8, he talks about all the ends of the earth. He's looking at all of the earth and what does he see? Well, on one hand, he sees the roaring seas. Verse 7, the roaring seas, the roaring of their waves. Have you ever been on the ocean in the midst of a storm? Uh, it's one thing to see it from the coastline already. The waves look tumultuous, but you're in, if you're in a boat when it's happening, you are being tossed and turned, and it feels chaotic, and it can be terrifying, and that's what David is speaking about here. And he's, he's using it as a metaphor. If you look at it, the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. He looks at the world, and on one hand, he sees nations fighting against nations, people fighting against people. And Israel is this tiny little country surrounded by massive empires, and it's like a rowboat being tossed to and fro on the waves. The waves are roaring. And if you were standing outside of the temple courts, if you were standing from a different perspective, it might be enough to cause him to despair. Just like, like us, we look and we see the tumult of the peoples, the disorder, the chaos, and it can be terrifying and we can despair, but that is not how David sees things because he's standing within the courts of the temple. And what does he see? He sees that there is one who is greater than the chaos, that God is the one who stills the roaring of the seas. He stills them. He's the one who has established the mountains. So as strong and as fierce as the ocean waves are, the mountains stand firm, completely unmoved, because God himself is the one who is unmoved. As things are chaotic, his righteousness is unyielding. His promised faithfulness is as hard as rock that cannot be moved. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. In the midst of chaos, there is a certainty and there is a hope. And as David looks, he feels awe and gratitude. And, and can, it, can we not, as we stand in Christ, see the same thing? The nations rage, evil rages, death rages, and yet Christ goes to the cross and he conquers death and he crushes Satan under his feet. Chaos and evil reign, uh, rage all around us, but Christ says, all authority has been given on heaven and earth to me. And as people go and make disciples, those who once were in the thralls of, of Satan no longer have to fear Satan's tyranny because Christ has won. The world seems chaotic, and yet, in Christ, we know that God is working all things for our good, and that one day all things will be good, because we have a God who subdues chaos. I invite you even just to think for a moment, as we already have begun to do over this past year. There are times, there are things that even we shared about where even six months ago or eight months ago, we felt like we were being tossed back and forward by the chaos of the waters. The anxiety was palpable and we prayed. And how many times can we look back and say, that's not our case anymore? Because God has been faithful and he has subdued the chaos. And I was just thinking about for our church, 
About almost exactly a year ago, Michael Langer was, you know, made the announcement that he was going to be leaving. This young congregation in Palos that still is being established, that was just one year ago. And, and it probably felt to some people like, what's going on? This feels chaotic and unpredictable. And yet, what has God done? He has brought this church, this congregation of Palos, through that instability to having a pastor, and they are stronger than they've ever been before. God has subdued the chaos. And he's done that in your life and mine outside in our situations, but even within, there is our own sin, and yet God is working and making us whole. He is the God who subdues the chaos, and if we can stand in Christ and look rightly, we also will be filled with awe and gratitude. And, and he, David looks even not just at the whole earth, but he looks at the land. That's, that's what verses 9 through 12 um, I'm oh, sorry, 9 through 13, whereas before it was about the nations, now he's looking at the land. And again, this would be, if he stood outside of the temple courts, a reason for anxiety and concern. See, if you lived in Egypt, you had it good because the Nile River made irrigation a constant. Crops were always coming because whether it rained or not, you had a river to make sure that the, uh, the land was, was plenty irrigated. But, but not so for Israel. For Israel... You always had to wait with uncertainty, needing the rain. The rain was what it would take for animals to be able to have fields to eat from. The rain is what it would take for crops to grow. The rain was the source of life, and it could be terrifying because it was uncertain. But that's, as, as David stands from the courts of the temple, that's not what he sees. He sees you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You hear what he's saying? Egypt might have their river. We have the river of God. He is the one who again and again pours rain when it is needed. And the river of God is full of water. And what's the effect? Verse 11, you crown the year with bounty. Verse 12, the pastures of the wilderness overflow. And what is the response to this abundant generosity? The hills clothe themselves with joy. From the courts of the temple, David looks, and he sees God pouring out his generosity again and again and again. The river of God is full of water. And, and can't you and I see this even more clearly when we stand in Christ. When we come to Christ and come to faith, we start discovering things. On one hand, we start seeing ourselves more clearly, and we realize that nothing we have that is good do we deserve. Everything is given to us. Nothing have we earned. We, we, we come to understand that, but we understand something even more. In Christ, we come to realize not only do we not deserve it, but that everything that we are given is actually a loving gift. Everything you have received is God reminding you of his love for you. Every, just take a breath for a moment. That was a gift from God. The food that you are going to eat later today, the clothes that we are wearing, these are God's gifts. The, the beauty of the world around us, these are God's gifts if only we can see them. I think of, of, of this year how God has provided. God has given us this building. God has given us uh, pregnancies and, and new children being born. 
God has given us new people who weren't here a year ago. God has provided for us financially. God has helped people to grow. We just look and we see. And can't you see that in your life? Maybe this year has been a year where you've experienced bounty and you just see God's generosity if you can just look. Or maybe this year has been incredibly hard. And yet if you look, you see God has carried you through it. When we stand in the right place, we're able to see the bounty, the generosity of God, and we can respond with joy and gratitude. Do you see what he's saying? God has brought us into a new perspective. He has opened us, opened our eyes to see him and the world differently. And when we are able to see things in terms of who Christ is and what he has done, when we're able to put those glasses on, what do we say? This is what the Lord has done. And we respond, thanks be to God. So I would invite, I want to take a moment and, and rather than having a, a time of silent prayer, I'd like to kind of lead us in, in a prayer of response of both confession and thanksgiving. And then we'll close, uh, uh, and then we'll read the, the words of the good news of the gospel. But would you please uh, join with me in prayer? Father, as, as Brent reminded us earlier, uh, uh, your word speaks of how uh, one of the central human failures, one of our failures, is a failure to give you thanks. And Lord, we confess that is true for us, that uh, so often we forget that everything we have, our our, our lives, everything comes from you. And we fail to give thanks. We fail to recognize how loving and generous and how good you are. Lord, we confess our ingratitude. We, we see that it is sin. And we ask for your forgiveness. And Father, even as we acknowledge that, we, we, we thank you we thank you that we can confess those words without fear because we are forgiven in Christ. We thank you for the news that you are for us and therefore who can be against us. We thank you that we are your children dwelling in your home with certainty of even as things feel chaotic right now that you are certain and faithful and we can trust you. And Lord, we ask that you would free our hearts more and more to be filled with gratitude and joy and awe over who you are and what you are doing in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here are these words from 1 John. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Thanks be to God.